0: at LoveIsrael.org. That's one word, LoveIsrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: John, in his first epistle, has written a few things concerning the Antichrist. Now, we know from our study of the Word of God that when the Scripture speaks about the Antichrist, for example, it says that he is the man of lawlessness. This means that he's against the Torah, the law of God, the commandments of God. Also, we know that the spirit of the Antichrist is that of blasphemy. But when we compare what the Bible says about the true Messiah, we find that Yeshua, everything that he did, everything that he taught, that he said, brought honor and glory to God the Father. And therefore, if we are his disciples, we are going to walk in that same spirit, that same activity, that same behavior. Messiah is not against the Torah. In fact, the Bible says, Yeshua said this himself, that he came in order that the law might be fulfilled. He also says that law will not be done away with until heaven and earth is done away with, which means until the new jerusalem is established well take out your bible and look with me to first john and chapter 4. we began this chapter last week and we're going to complete it this week god willing first john chapter 4 and verse 10. now he's going to be speaking about love and i've shared with you in this study of first john that the love of god is indeed the number one characteristic of the law when we follow his instructions his commandments we are going to be demonstrating love love to god and love to others and and john is going to emphasize this in the verses we study in this section now we need to remember something because love is indeed foundational for the torah paul for example in the book of galatians he reveals the main thought of the torah he says all the law and the word torah simply means law all the law in one statement he's saying let me summarize all 613 of the commandments that are found in the first five books of the bible and how does Paul do that via hafta la reacha kamoka love your neighbor as yourself now john he's going to say that same thing he's going to use a few different words he's going to emphasize that true believers that we walk in love and we love one another now that begins with loving fellow believers But also just as messiah demonstrated the bible says for god did something he loved us while we were still sinners therefore if we're going to be like him we need to love others who are even outside the faith want god's very best for them lead them to experience the will of god of course that begins with repentance and accepting the gospel we want to be an influence for that. But in in today's study, we're going to see the, the emphasis that John in this first epistle places on what I would call a, a Torah foundation, loving one another. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to 1 John and chapter 4. John's first epistle, chapter 4, we're going to begin where we left off last week, in verse 10 where we read and i'm going to translate first this very very literally according to the word order of the text and then we'll explain it a little bit it says in this is the love i want to say that again in this is the love now we would want to say in english that the love this is just speaking about true love a godly love to, to distinguish it from the love that the world thinks of when it hears that term love in actuality. Unless you know the commandments of God, you're really not gonna know what love is. It's the commandments of God that teaches us our responsibilities to God and to others. Left to ourself, there's many things we would not do, we would not think of, so the commandments of God teach us, reveal to us, manifest to us our responsibilities to God and our responsibilities to one another. Therefore, he says, love is in this. Now, he's teaching us what true love, biblical love, godly love truly is. And he says, not that we have loved God. Now, the fact of the matter is this, love to ourselves. We, we don't know how to love God. We don't see true love, a godly love, a love that God is well pleased with, and how people demonstrate their love for God, especially when we look to non-believers. So the only way that we can really understand the love of God is not through some other religion, some other doctrine, but only what the bible reveals concerning the gospel and that's why we read here but that he loved us not that we love god that's not where love began to be manifested defined demonstrated but rather that he has loved us and when it says he has loved us we have to understand one of the important nuances of of tense in the Greek language now if we would apply English tense to this it means that God has loved us and that's it it's over he has done his love and it's completed over done away with obviously we know that's not the case no the term here the heiress for the past tense in the Greek language speaks about love in its wholeness love in its entirety love in a complete demonstration. So if you want to know completely love in its entirely, fully, then we can look and see how to understand it. And here's the example. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And how did he demonstrate that love? And that he sent his son, and notice this next word, his son, a propitiation. Now, if you're using a Bible that says atonement, I would strongly consider you putting that Bible aside and looking for another translation. Because the word atonement is simply a covering. It conceals sin. Now, the benefit of that is, instead of God's judgment coming, atonement delays God's judgment. But if it's left in that condition, judgment will come. So atonement has some benefits, but it's limited. What's better? What we see here, propitiation. Now that word is closely related to another English word, and that is redemption. Redemption pays a price so that sin is completely, fully dealt with. And it's not just covered up, but it's removed. It's no longer part of the equation, the conversation, the situation, the reality. It is done away with. It is removed. It has been redeemed. That's what propitiation is. So God has demonstrated love for us because he has dealt perfectly, completely in its entirety with the problem of sin. And how did he do that? Very simply, he sent his son that his son would be a propitiation concerning our sin now even though it says our sin we're going to see something that that work of messiah was sufficient for all sin if you are part of a congregation a leadership that teaches a limited atonement meaning this that messiah's work upon that cross his work of redemption that propitiation was only sufficient to cover up the sins and deal with the sins of of those who would receive him that is a false teaching messiah's blood is sufficient for all the sins of the world now those who are going to benefit from his work are only those who believe those who receive the truth accept the gospel But his work is sufficient, all sufficient. So the fact that someone would speak about a limited atonement and use that word atonement is highly problematic. That shows that they don't understand what atonement even is. So I would stay far away from such teaching. Verse verse 11. Beloved, thus God has loved us. Now, he's speaking to believers when he says, beloved ones, sense thus. Now, some will say, if so, or if thusly, but we should understand this word as sense, because God has demonstrated his love for us. And because of that, beloved, sense thusly, God has loved us because he has perfectly loved us. And he has dealt with our sins being a propitiation, the only propitiation for sin. He says, also we ought to one another love. Now, I went along with the Greek word order because when we do that, see, most Bibles say we ought to love one another. But here it says we ought to love one another. The emphasis here is on one another. Let me read this carefully so we hear the difference. It says, we ought to one another love. The word one another appears before love. And that is to emphasize how broad, how inclusive our love should be. Not just for those who are kind for us, not even just for fellow believers, but for all humanity that we should pray for our enemies, we should bless our enemies, and we should do that which is going to have a positive, a godly, a holy influence on their life. We want to see our enemies brought to repentance. We want to see them confess their sins and, and receive redemption so that they can be born again and become our brothers and sisters and will spend eternity with us And more importantly, with him in the kingdom of God. So once more, it says, beloved ones, since thusly God has loved us, also we ought one another to love, verse 12. Now, the first word of verse 12 is the word God, but this word is not being used as the subject of the sentence. Now, in English, we would have to translate it differently. We would have to say, no one has ever seen God. But here's the problem. In the Greek text, to emphasize the significance of what what John is revealing, the word God comes first. It's problematic in English, our way of thinking, but what he wants to do is to say, no one at any time has seen God. Now, why is God being manifested here in a e- way of em- in emphasis, emphatically? Well, here's what we see. The word for no one has ever seen God. The word for having seen God is not the normal word for beholding something, seeing something with your eyes. It has to do with understanding. Understanding having a proper comprehension of a proper and complete or full understanding of and what he's saying is this never has anyone ever fully comprehended understood who god is but we need to see something else even though we read no one has at any time understood god He says, if we love one another, God, the same God that no one has understood, the same God in us will remain. So no one has seen God, but this God, if we love one another, God remains in us. Now, let me tell you what this verse is not speaking about. It's not speaking about God coming and going. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says, that God will never leave us nor forsake us. So God is not in the habit of being with us one moment, being somewhere else another one. Once we enter into a covenant with him, he is with us. The Holy Spirit will not depart from us. What he's talking about here, about remaining, we can best understand this through the concept of anointing. The Bible says that when we choose unwisely, when we rebel when we turn away from from the truth god's instructions what happens we hinder the holy spirit's work in our life he doesn't leave he just won't function it's a law he won't function effectively we can hinder or quench we can stagnate the work of the holy spirit in our life this has nothing to do with god being sovereign of course he's sovereign but the sovereign god puts up laws and when i choose unwisely when i rebel when i walk in a direction away from the will of god it is going to have that rebelliousness that sin that wrong way of thinking is going to have an adverse relationship in my life in regard to the anointing the empowerment the provision of the holy spirit he doesn't leave me but he's not going to work as mightily He's not going to work because he's displeased with where I am, what I am doing, where I'm moving to. So he's speaking about here, when we love one another, God in us remains. Some Bibles will say abide. Now, let me just point out that this word in the Greek language, we use the term meno. Meno means I abide, I remain. And this is a big word that John uses about abiding. What that speaks of is that maintaining the benefits of a relationship. It's not that that relationship is broken. It simply says the benefits of that relationship is not going to be experienced, known. But when he abides, remain in us, then we can expect the benefits of of that relationship the fruitfulness of a relationship with god he says if we love one another god in us remains and his love and notice the next phrase shall be perfected in us now god's love is perfect god's love doesn't change god's love doesn't need to be perfected it always is. When was God's love perfect? There was never a time that his love was not perfect. But the question is this, is his perfect love going to work in our life perfectly? His love's perfect, but will that perfect love work in our life perfectly in accordance with what God wants it to bring about? And here again, there's a condition. And what is that? Well, that we love one another, it says. And his love, when we're loving one another, his love will be perfected. Now, his love's perfect, but the work of his perfect love will will come to its desired results in us. That's what he's talking about here. So if I want God's love to manifest itself properly, perfectly, properly is the intent, correctly according to the will of God then that love is going to be released his perfect love is going to be released through me in me and accomplish his will when I'm walking in love when I am loving one another just like he has loved me that's what he's saying here verse 13 in this in this manifestation of God's perfect love throw, flowing through us being used by him to love others he says in this we know that in him we remain and he in us here again this term remaining has to do with the benefits of this relationship you can be in some type of relationship that relationship can be solid in force but you may not be receiving benefits of that relationship because perhaps something is, is violated, something that's, that's not proper that you're doing. And it's only when you submit to the terms of this relationship, the relationships in force, but it's only when you submit to the terms of it are the benefits going to be released, that you'll have access to all the privileges this relationship and that's what he's saying here so once more verse 13 in this we know that in him we remain and he in us in this what's this he's going to tell us that from his spirit he has given us now this is a big deal because god the living god god almighty has given to us his spirit not some of his spirit not a portion of his spirit not part of his spirit but his spirit the very spirit of god the holy spirit dwells in me and every believer here again we can quench we can hinder we can behave in a way that will adversely affect the anointing of the spirit but as a believer he has given to us from his spirit verse 14 and we have seen and this is the word same word we talked about earlier we have understood we have arrived at a understanding a proper perception the right vantage point and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent the son a savior of the world now remember what I said earlier I spoke against this concept that some theologians have, primarily Calvinism, about a limited atonement. Again, if someone speaks about Messiah's work upon the cross and uses the term atonement, he really ought not. Messiah did not secure atonement for us. He secured redemption, eternal redemption. That's what we see in a few places in the scripture. And therefore, notice what this scripture says. That Messiah, I'm reading from verse 14 at the end, that the Father has sent the Son. And the implication is to be Savior, the Savior, the only Savior of what? Some of the world? The elect of the world? No all the world. He is Savior of the world. Now again, just because the payment is sufficient enough, that powerful, that broad, doesn't mean that everyone in the world is going to experience that salvation. He could. She might. But it's conditional on faith. It's conditional on the gospel message, understanding it, agreeing with it and accepting it into your life you know i've talked to many people that say i understand the gospel Say that's great but but they don't want to receive it they understand what the gospel is what we mean by it that god sent his son into the world that his son went to that cross that that death on the cross the shedding of his blood was for our redemption payment and full of sin and that god confirmed that work that it was sufficient perfect acceptable to god the father by raising his son from the dead that's the proof of it they say i understand that but i don't want to receive it so here it's talking not just about receiving it but believing it says here we have understood we have seen and we have testified that the father sent the son Send to be savior of the world. And then look at verse 15. Here's the condition. Whomsoever should confess. Now it's in the, the subjunctive mood. This is the mood of condition. And that's why when people they they talk about theology and they don't know the, the language of the scripture, they can be can be led into a false doctrine. We need to ask the question, why is so frequently when we talk about the gospel and receiving it, why is it in the subjective mood? And the reasons why it's in the subjunctive mood is because it's conditional. It's conditional on what we're reading. Whomsoever should confess that Yeshua, he is the son of God. Now that term son of God is broad because the term son of god implies that he's divine it speaks of his divinity so it's not enough to say like islam does well well this uh jesus he is is the christ he's a savior he's this he's that they don't believe that he is divine so anyone who denies the divinity of messiah does not know the love of god has not properly understood who God is and understands the love that God has provided. It's for those who confess that Yeshua is the Son of God. God in Him, this one who confesses that, God in Him, there's that same word, remains or abides, meaning this. This one will enjoy the privileges, the benefits of a covenantal relationship you can be in a covenantal relationship with god but because of rebelliousness because of faithlessness because of believing that which is false you won't know the benefits you won't experience the privileges of that covenant and then he says at the end of verse 15 and he in god so god remains in us and we remain in god as it says, and he in God. Verse 16. And we have known and we have believed. Now that means we have known this in the past. We know it right now and we'll continue to know it. Nothing's going to change our perspective. Therefore, we know it and we believed it in the past. We believe it now and we'll continue to believe it. And what is that? We have known and we have loved. We have believed the love which God has in us. I like the terms that God has in us. It's not that God simply loves us from a distance, but he has put that love in us. That's what the scripture says. Let me read it correctly. And we have known, this means have, known now and will know in the future. We have believed, we believe now and will continue to believe in the future, the love. This unique love, the love of God, which he has in us. Verse, verse 16, the second half. God is love. And the one who remains in love, in God, remains. So if I want the benefit of being in a covenant relationship with God, it is dependent upon me walking in love. And again, what we talked about earlier, that is going to be taught to me through studying the commandments of God. Is one saved by the commandments? No, one is not. In fact, Paul teaches in Romans that for a non-believer, what the law does is, is two things. First, it manifests our sinfulness. God says, don't do this. And that don't Arise, arises up, arouses up my, my sinfulness. I know God says, don't do it, but I want to do it. And God says, do this. I don't want to do that. It shows my rebelliousness, my disobedience, my sinfulness. That's the first thing it does. Secondly, it tells me that, that I can't save myself. I'm in need of a savior because the law does not say Nowhere in the scripture we see the law as an instrument of salvation or justification so the law teaches me my need for salvation through salvation salvation happens first then regeneration salvation leads one to become a new creation it is false again calvinism is wrong when it says that God's sovereignty regenerates someone causes someone to be a new creation and then they will accept the gospel. It's only because they have become a new creation that they'll accept the gospel. But see, the Bible says such things as this. If anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. It doesn't say if anyone is a new creation, he will find himself becoming in Messiah. Very, very different. Very incorrect. Salvation leads to regeneration. They happen. The moment that you are saved, regeneration takes place. But it's not that regeneration happens and leads you sometime later on to confess Messiah. This is wrong. So that's why we read second part of verse verse 16. God is love, and the one who remains in love, in God he remains, and God in him. And therefore, he speaks about a benefit. Look at verse 17. In this, it says, love is perfected with us. Now, what does it mean, love is perfected? Well, that same word can mean it arises to or arrives to its end. I'm going to say that again. That same word for perfected means it can arrive at its proper condition proper state it comes to the end that God intended now what we find is this God's love it was shown through Messiah Messiah fully God but fully man so it was a man Messiah sure yes he's always divine never a time he wasn't divine but he came when the Bible speaks about the son of man It shows him as an example for humanity. So God's love was manifested through Yeshua. What he did in the flesh, his flesh. He never sinned. Therefore, likewise, we are called to live a life. Whose life? Messiah's life. He gives us his spirit. That's what John tells us in his gospel. In order that... The spirit of Messiah is in us so that we live out his life. We continue doing the work that he wants done. And it's in that, us doing that work, in love. The love of God being manifest through us, that's where it reaches. It's in, meaning it's, it's prophesied purpose. What God intends his love to do in this word, so, world. It's so important that it says, with us. And therefore because of that look at the second part of verse 17 in order that we have confidence in the day of judgment god's love being being working through us being released through us confirms that he's in us and we are in him and that fact gives us confidence For the day of judgment now it's so important that the bible speaks so frequently of judgment and i think we need to be to be faithful to the scripture if someone who is a leader of a congregation a bible teacher that people go to they enter into the congregation and he's the primary teacher if this one never speaks about judgment that person is not being faithful to the scripture he may be a nice individual he may have good intentions but he's not walking in infidelity to the scripture he's not teaching what the word of god says numerous times so once more there's an emphasis in the word of god about judgment and it's great to know we who walk in love i hope that's your condition I want it to be my condition, what I strive for. Do we fail at times? Yes, we do. We, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We choose incorrectly. We don't walk in truth. Sometimes we, 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 we succumb to falsehood. That's bad. Thank God for his mercy. But when we are in his will, that will just gives us, as it says here, is confidence. We have confidence in the day of judgment because just as that one is now that one we've talked about this before that term that one is referring to messiah some bibles will not translate it literally saying that one but just say he but it's literally that one and it makes it emphatic it wants to emphasize what's being said about him in this passage which is as just as that one is Also, we will be in this world. What a wonderful thing. Just as that one is, just as he is, we also will be in this world. That's our objective. That's what God wants us to be, just like his son. Do we ever become divine? We do not, but we can live in obedience to the will of the divine God. Look now to verse verse 18. Fear is not in love. Just that simple. When we are operating in love, there's not going to be fear in our life. What an important principle to remember as we approach the last days when there's going to be persecution, persecution, There there is going to be hatred for believers and we see this this arising, building up now even in our days. So he tells us, fear not is in love. Translated literally, according to word order, we would say, there is no fear in love. But perfect love, love in its in form, what it was always called to be, perfect love. Outside casts fear. Now, here again, the emphasis is on outside. We would say that perfect love casts outside fear. But the message is this fear and love are, are inconsistent with one another. They don't have any place. When we are in fear, we're absent of love. When we are in love, we will be absent of fear. That's what he's saying. Once again, verse verse 18 fear there is not in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear there is with fear what a punishment fear has a punishment and the one fearing is not being perfected in love this one who is fearing He is not experiencing the perfection of love in his life, the outcome that love, the love of God, is supposed to bring in his life. He says, we love him. It says that love is not perfected in this one because we love him, but rather it is because he has first loved us. And again, in the Greek text, that word first is emphatic his love being perfected in us that possibility does not come about because we have loved him but rather it has come about because he first has loved us and if someone should say I love God and his brother he should hate now the the subjunctive is being used here because it's a hypothetical situation Now, it could be the reality for your life or my life or someone else's, but he's simply giving an example. And he tells us something in very clear terms. Look at it carefully once more. Verse 20, if someone should say that I love God and his brother he should hate, what does he say? He is a liar. Makes it very simple to understand. If you say, oh, I love God, but, but my brother, I hate. If you say you love God and hate your brother, you are a liar. Now, people say, you know, it's not nice to call other people a liar. That, that's, not, that, that's not God's will. Well, apparently it is. If someone is lying, you can, especially when it's a believer who is incorrect about the word of God, we see that frequently the word of God uses harsh terms pretty strong language that John is using if someone should say I love God and his brother he should hate he is a liar for the one that's not loving his brother whom he has seen God whom he has not seen how is he able to love now we know what he's saying we've heard this verse many times and it's just this we we have not seen god we have not been able to comprehend completely god so if we say we love him but we 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 hate our brother who we can't see if this is it we are 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 wrong we are not walking in the truth of scripture once more he says for the one not loving his brother whom he has seen god whom he has not seen how is he able to love verse 21 now our last verse verse 21 is very important because it goes back to that foundation of the torah which holds all of this together he says here verse 21 and this is the commandment that we have from him let me say it again and this commandment we have from him in order that the one loving God should also love his brother. Now, when it says should, it's not a suggestion. In English, we may hear it that way, but in the biblical language, it is speaking about a condition. The one who should say, I love God. Let's take it literally. And this commandment we have from him who him God in order that the one who loves God should love also and this is emphatic also his brother and loving your brother is simply the foundation of Torah truth and you love your brother why because you have received the love of God have we not seen several times the Bible speaking about the love of God, that perfect love of God being, arriving at its end, being what it should be in our life. See, this is what happens. This perfect love of God enters into us. It's always perfect. The question is, is that perfect love going to have the desired outcome? And when do we know that it has? When we love our neighbor, our brother, one another. As God has loved us. And when we do that, we are going to have a dynamic testimony. We are going to manifest the love that God has given to us. And this is going to have great benefits. It is going to grow, mature, empower, broaden the benefits of being in a covenantal relationship with Him. We're going to take hold. Of those benefits and privileges the more that we are used by god the more satisfying the more powerful the more illuminating our covenant relationship will be with god i want to close with this the scripture is clear that the love of god is this that he sent his son his only begotten son into this world to be the propitiation of for the sins of the world that means there's an invitation to you that you receive this redemption god working and and destroying your sinfulness so that there's nothing that hinders you from receiving that love of god receiving his spirit being used by god and when god determines the time Him bringing you into His kingdom where He is that you should be forever. There are great benefits for experiencing the love of God. And you experience those benefits when you demonstrate that love that He has for you when we do so to one another. Well, I'll close with that. Until next week, Shalom from Israel.